Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. Today we're reading short and deep The Lost Temples of Zantus by Howell Calhoun. Howell Vincent Calhoun. Um, first published in Weird Tales, October 1936, which was a very nice issue. It had a Robert E. Howard uh, serial, and the, actually, that story is the Red, Red Nails, the very last uh, Conan story while he was alive, um, and uh, that's the last part of the serial. Um, there's a poem um, in here by R.H. Barlow, who was a very good friend of H.P. Lovecraft's, and um, correspondent, I believe, of, of Howard's, um, entitled R.E.H., which is a an obituary. There's a story by Robert Block in here, and um, uh, Henry Cutner, a very uh, well-known story, Arthur, an Arthur Conan Doyle reprint. Uh, this is a great issue of Weird Tales, um, uh, in maybe the best year of Weird Tales, October 1936. That might be arguable. Um, and this is uh, not a famous poem and not a famous poet, but um, as I really like to do, I, I pick a poem from Weird Tales every once in a while. I read it, and I ooh, I like this one. And uh, I sent it to you. And you liked it enough to consider discussing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, in part, Jesse, because it's it's a kind of poem that strikes me as your type of poem. Mm. So I kind of like to use this as an occasion not simply to discuss the poem, but to discuss how this poem and others like it are valuable. Mm. I, I think you have more of a an affinity for this sort of poem than I do, but that, that you know, as they say, there's no accounting for taste. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe today would be a good day to try to at least account for it, even if we can't justify it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something really... Uh, it's it's funny because I'm always shilling up our uh, old weird tales poems on on Twitter. And almost nobody cares, um, and the, I think the the reason is probably just because, like, for most of my life I didn't care about poems. I thought, well, they're kind of stupid and kind of a waste of time, and you know, kind of flowery and pointless. And um, and yet, what I've sort of come to love about them is that they are highly condensed stories and I, I never thought about them that way before but uh, each line uh, is a s- set of sounds and then each sentence and that's the other thing is, is I never thought about poems as having sentences when I was young but that's what they are there's, there's sentences in there there's periods in there uh, and you know there's capitals at the beginning of every line so it's a bit confusing to f- sometimes find where that is if you're not looking out for the periods but really reading reading them as stories um i've come to like acquire a love for them that i is i think greater than a love for for short stories only thing that i might like more as a format i used to think short stories were the best i i of course loved novels many of them especially short novels um i thought novellas maybe were the best sort of way of expressing stories um, but the only thing that might rival my affections for poems is uh, prose poems, which are even 
you know, sort of a hybrid of of the poetic and and the the more shape of a story, even if they tend to be relatively short. And so, in thinking about um, how important you know each line is and each word and each sound is in a poem, I, I come to really appreciate what it can do in such a short amount of space. And I, I just love reading <laughs> this kind of poem because it has weirdness built into it. It's not you know it's you know like I teach poems as well because it's it's required and and a lot of the poems I read I you know I appreciate what you know the artist is doing but generally they're about you know mundane things like uh i don't know putting the baby to bed or <laughs> you know um uh, having a beautiful day in a summer uh, or a beautiful night in a in a winter right uh, and these these tend to be um a little more grandiose and uh i just i think it's just wonderful it's a wonderful mix of everything i love about science fiction and fantasy uh, and then that density of, um, and, and, uh, it, I find them very open so that uh, it, this one, especially it was very open to what does it mean? Where are we? What's going on? Wow. Uh, <laughs> there are so many things that I would want to say in response to your expression of, of, appreciation and enthusiasm a, a lot of it would be ratifying your view with mine a lot of it would not um but i don't want to do any of the not right now because i don't want to dampen that enthusiasm <laughs> you, love, you love reading poems i suggest that you you read this poem to us sure. and then we can discuss it and see how it fits in to what you just said. Well, mm -hmm. let's start with what it says. Sure. Okay, so please read for us, would you, Jesse? Sure. It's a, a, a regular sonnet, a regular Weird Tale-style sonnet, and it goes like this. The Lost Temples of Xantus by Hal Calhoun. Celestial fantasies and of deathless night and raptured colonnades adorned with pearls, resplendent guardians of crimson light Expanse of darkness silently unfurls among colossal ruins on this shore that once was pearled by Xantus's rolling seas. Nothing remains upon this barren core of Mars but your palatial memories. Your altars and magnificent black gods still flash beneath the sapphire torch's flames. The fragrant ring of sacred flowers nods beneath the monstrous idol's gilded frames. Your jeweled gates swing open on their bands of gold. Within a lurid shadow stands. It's basically just two sentences, right? <laughs> so it's sometimes hard to tell if these are commas or periods, but it's basically two images. And I, I love that idea of the sonnet as being two images broken apart by the eight and the six. And, um, I, I, on my piece of paper, it's got all sorts of notes and little drawings. And, uh, I do those because I'm reading, I typically read these with students, um, because they're full of nice vocab words. Uh, I get to <laughs> talk about sapphires and what they are and what bands are lurid. Oh, I love the word lurid. 
<laughs> enraptured. You know, these are great folk, or a colonnade. What is a colonnade? These are not words you normally uh, come across, you know, in social studies class or something like that. And then um, I, think, I think we may need to make clear the uh, age levels of your students. Yeah, so these are typically between ten and uh, eighteen, <laughs> and okay. I, I will go very young because uh, I think it's I think they're just great stories. Um, and what I love about the ending of this is it's so open that literally there is uh, jeweled gates swinging open, and uh, it was so inspiring to me. I'm like, okay. Uh, this is something I normally do with my students is um, after we finish reading a little poem like this, maybe it takes half an hour or so just to get through all the, the, the poem, all the vocabulary, maybe a little less than that. Then we sit down, we pick six vocab words from the poem and write a story. Each sentence having, uh, taking the meaning of, of the word and, and, uh, telling a little story each connecting to the next so for example <laughs> i wrote a sequel kind of to this using my uh, the vocab words adorn verb unfurl verb palatial adjective sacred adjective lurid adjective and resplendent adjective and uh in reading it you know and writing it and taking the taking this poem in and then using those vocabulary words i'm like discovering things about the poem that i just finished reading i th i think that's so, so cool that it because this one opens uh, the story closes with an opening right an opening of a jeweled gate swinging open on their bands who's opening it well apparently xantus is a sea or a city uh, or both on Mars, and the seas dried up, but the city's still there. Who's still there? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Well, I, I, at a first, let me put it a different way, at a superficial reading, I found this all right. Uh, it's it's full of all sorts of incantatory words if you've a mind to be enchanted by them celestial fantasies there's mm. a light you know and so i mean if if you go for that kind of stuff if you're big into hp lovecraft if you like you know eldritch things mm -hmm. and lambent light and so on why well, you know the, this pulls out a lot of those stops and in terms of it being a sonnet it it fits nicely if one reads it in a certain way the scansion turns out to be perfect the rhyme scheme is perfect for a sonnet and there is something about that that i think itself conveys pleasure regardless in some sense um of the actual dramatic content i agree I, uh, and that's that's i think something i didn't appreciate when i was not as familiar with with poems and especially weird poems. I, I, I even like, you know, boring poems. <laughs> if you know what I mean now, when I, when I'm appreciating exactly what you're saying, the form. Well, I, I indeed, I think that, um, and, and here I'd like to make a connection that, that reinforces or tries to, uh, complement supplement your, your notion about this being like a story in the vast majority of stories. 
are to some extent romantic in the structural sense, meaning that uh, we know something about the beginning tells us something about what we should expect at the end. You know, uh, check off, you know, there's a gun in Act 1, it's Mm going to have to go off by Act 3. Two people meet and obviously can't stand each other. We know they're going to be in love by the end. I mean, there's the vast majority of stories follow this sense of creating and then uh, in some way dealing directly with the expectations that often in straight romance those expectations are simply confirmed and the fun is how did you get from getting the expectation to seeing it fulfilled in some the expectation is absolutely reversed. So instead of the hero saving the day, the anti-hero saves the day or the hero fails and it becomes tragic. But but we're playing with expectations all along. And rhyme itself creates expectations which can then be fulfilled or or denied in quite conspicuous ways. This poem fulfills the expectations of rhyme throughout. And also, in the larger sense, it fulfills our expectation of sonnets. If you're a a reader of English of more than a certain age, you've encountered sonnets so many times that by the time you are halfway through this, before you even come to the break between the octet and the sestet, you're expecting this thing to be 14 lines. Mm -hmm. You don't say it to yourself, but that is a form that works in English. You know, just the way... uh, French has a sort of standard line that's an Alexandrine, an iambic hexameter. We have an iambic pentameter in literary uh, English, and we have an iambic tetrameter in sung English, hymns and so on. There's just mm-hmm. there's a rhythm to the language, and rhythm creates expectation, yes. and then it gets fulfilled. So in the sense that a story creates um, a conceptual expectation, which then gets dealt with, what we have here is a direct parallel sonically. We have the, the, the sounds and the rhythms of the poem creating expectations, which then get dealt with as we work our way out. In that sense, I think, yes, a good poem is much like a good story. And and for that, I, I'm glad that that you come to see that. There are other ways, though, in which I wonder about it as a story. And when I first read this one, and I thank you very much for pointing it out to me, for passing it along, as I say, I thought, here's some more of those people uh, just flailing around with, oh, let's <laughs> take this this nifty word and you know and and mostly it's just somebody it's it basically until you get to the last uh, half sentence till you get to the the last part of the last line it's it's all description it's mm-hmm. some some speaking voice apparently talking to the lost temples of Xantus. Mm-hmm. Um but then when it says within a lurid shadow stands aha now we know that he's not just talking to this to the temples, he's talking to us. So we have an action that is the the coming to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that is narrated. We have the narrator. That's the speaker of the poem, and we have the narratee. That looks like it's the temples, but in fact, it's us. Mm. Right? He's talking to or she or they talking to us, 
via the mask of talking to the temples, which is common in poetry, after all. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, hail to the blithe spirit isn't really uh, addressed to the blithe spirit. It's addressed to the reader of the poem. Um, So now I sort of say, ah, this is a kind of a story. And when I read it as a story and went back over it two or three or four times, Mm -hmm. it became richer and richer. It does. So for me, um, one of the reasons that it becomes richer is I have made some decisions about things that weren't unclear, but now to me they seem clear. Mm -hmm. It seems clear to me that Xantus is a place on Mars, Mars, Mars the planet. And therefore, in the third line, when we are told, when it says the celestial fantasies of deathless night enraptured colonnades adorned with pearls, resplendent guardians of crimson light, we realize the crimson light is the light of Mars. Hmm. And it's a light of Mars that somehow is visible because this is deathless night. Meaning night will go on forever, but we'll still see things. Mm-hmm. Indeed, of all of the kinds of precious objects that could adorn these colonnades, and colonnades themselves reminds us, for example, not only of temples, but of Greek temples mm-hmm. like those to Mars. Uh, of all of the precious stones that could adorn those colonnades, um, the one that's picked here is pearls, Mm -hmm. which come from the sea. That's right. And so we have, you know, this, pearls, working with the the darkness, again, the deathless night that unfurls, and this rolling seas that once pearled Mm -hmm. by Xantus rolling shore. Now, that's an internal rhyme, the word pearled, Mm -hmm. in the middle of a line, but it rhymes with unfurled and pearls, which were end rhymes in the second and fourth lines. This is very, very delicate prosody. Mm-hmm. This this poem really is alert to sound and creating echoes in ways that both fulfill our expectations. And then, as with this word pearled in the middle of that line, uh, the sixth line, exceeding our expectations. So I look at the sound of this, or I listen to the sound of it, and see how it's constructed, and I think, hmm, this really does structurally give us a richness that goes beyond thinking of celestial fantasies, <laughs> some light. No, it really does. And so then I think, okay, so what's going on here? What is the story? And to me, the story has to do with the contrast between the black and the red. Mm-hmm. The Deathless Night and the Crimson. There's the black gods and the sapphire torches flames. Um, we have Lurid, and this is that last line, your jeweled gates, so we know we've got sapphires and pearls, your jeweled gates swing open on their bands of gold. Mm-hmm. Now, the word gold uh, has occurred earlier in the poem, too, if I recall correctly, um, or gilded, something like mm-hmm. that. Yes, gilded frames. Um, The word lurid, which I always associate with uh, hard-boiled detective stories. Um, But etymologically, I mean, the whole history of the word lurid actually comes from a root having to do with bruises. Lurid is a pale yellow that is what the skin of, of white people looks like 
as bruises are healing, you know, at first they may be black, but then as they begin to heal, the skin turns that sort of pale yellowy look. Mm -hmm. And that's what lurid is. Right? It's, it's the, the sign of abuse. Mm -hmm. But pale yellow is a shadow of gold. So your jewel gates swing open on their bands of gold within a lurid shadow stands. Mm -hmm. And lurid is visually a shadow in the metaphoric sense, meaning a, a weak projection of gold. And I read this end and I wonder, is the shadow here a synonym for a ghost, you mm -hmm. know, shades of night? Or is there something making this shadow? Because mm -hmm. the lost temples of Xanthus aren't lost. Nope. Right? The speaker is here. He sees them. So to whom are they lost? In a sense, it's as if, I don't know, the god Mars no longer has anyone really believing in him. Mm -hmm. that, uh, right? So his worth, his, his gold is now diminished. And yet someone is there or something is there. Is it the shadow of gold? Is it the diminishment of the worship of God, uh, the god Mars of war? Or is there something else? And that's the question that hits me because no longer do the seas roll or pearl by Xanthus. They don't do it anymore. So the question I come up with at the end, and this, this is supported, that is you can bear this question because everything else perfectly fulfills its expectations. Is this lurid shadow a sign of the demise of whatever the temples of Xanthus meant to celebrate? Or within those temples, is this lurid shadow a sign of persistence. <laughs> I love I love what you're doing because it's. I told you I I write these little stories right um, to basically just exercise the the words and make make my students uh, have something I can check their grammar on right. Uh -huh. um, and so uh, I'm not I'm I'm very hesitant to give a, a student an assignment I'm unwilling to do. Um, just while they're doing it, I'll do it. And I, I do that mostly mostly as a, a way of sort of, I'm being honest here, I'm not making you do anything I'm not willing to do, basically, sort of thing. But uh, it has the, the positive effect that sometimes I really enjoy <laughs> what I've written. Um, and that's exactly what happened at the end of this one. I was definitely going to write a story because I didn't know what it was going to be about, but it's so open at the end. And I'm like, what is going on there? So I just wrote the words down uh the students choose the words right which words to do i say which ones are this you know 18 words in here that are our vocab words um and then they choose the order too we just go around the table and so when we get down to the en end of the story it's just been constructed out of these random words and and the previous impression we've had so I, I just want to read you my story and see see what I did with it. I because I'm inordinately proud of it, which is is funny. <laughs> I, I'm, I am I am open eared right. and open hearted. Go. So it should be six six sentences following. I'm just going to read the last two lines of uh, the Lost Temples of Xanthus again. Your jeweled gates swing open on their bands of gold within a lurid shadow stands. And then my story starts like this. Adorned, verb. Adorned with a golden cape and a knowing grin, John Carter, 
walked the streets of Xantus, lost temples glowering at his tiny body. <laughs> so I've already decided who is visiting the lost temples of Xantus. And um, if this was, um, like, when I was writing it, I was like, oh, oh, it should probably be like John Stark, but I'm not as, there's a, there's a, there's a Martian character uh, in Weird Tales, but I'm just not as familiar with him as I am with John Carter. Uh, I guess is why I wrote it that way. Then the next sentence is two. I, I would also point out to you, that since I, I, I'm guessing you didn't intend this, Jesse, but mm-hmm. and nor did Edgar Rice Burroughs when he wrote the, the Mars books, but John Carter is particularly apt for a poem about the lost temples of Xantus because that savior of Mars has the initials JC. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, second sentence. Unfurl verb. Above... Phobos and Demos zipped away from each other, unfurling another long, chill nightscape. Number three, palatial. Seeking refuge from the coming chill, Carter wrapped his wub fur cloak about himself and sought a place to camp. Oh, sorry, uh, sought a palatial place to camp. Um, wub. <laughs> wub is the traditional fur of uh, Philip K. Dick. A creature. For some reason, I threw that in there. Number three, uh, sorry, number four, sacred. Ahead, a once sacred temple opened wide its doors in welcome to this unmartian intruder. Number five, lurid. Stepping within, Carter saw a lurid shadow stand. And number six, resplendent. Diminutive in its sapphire shadow, Carter beheld the resplendent goddess Vesta who welcomed him with a deathless warmth, which he embraced willingly. <laughs> so I've answered the question, right? This is just somehow an answer to the question of, I don't think Howell Calhoun had John Carter in mind, but he wrote this so open of a poem and so suggestive that I was, like, inspired, I think, <laughs> in a very humorous um, and... Uh, obviously, uh, I'm 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 stealing from other authors, uh, but I just I really enjoyed that experience. Uh, I, I can understand why you would, and frankly, it's it's I think worth your telling folks what you and I were discussing before we began to to tape this conversation. What little we know about the author, right? So he uh, he. When we looked him up, um, we found his middle name was Vincent. Um, he basically wrote, I think, three poems for Weird Tales, and that's it. That was his um, entire, it might have been four, his entire output. Um, but uh, I also found he had written a letter to Weird Tales in 1973 when it was revived. It, I think it ended in 55, and then it was revived in the 70s. And uh, Howell Calhoun, now living in Hawaii uh, and retired, uh, wrote in to say how much he was enjoying the new Weird Tales and that he, because he was retired, he was going to be uh, working on some more things and maybe he would even submit them. Um, And that when he was a youth, uh, age 15, he wrote a few few poems for Weird Tales. So, In fact, he was very much a youth. He was 15 when he yeah, wrote this poem. exactly. Um, and that's all the more impressive, I think. Uh, what, I, what I really like is that connection, him saying 
you know, when I was a youth, I, I really enjoyed these things. He even got published as a, as a youth. Um, but in reading, in this reading of the Lost Temples of Zentus, he is participating in something that he obviously enjoyed greatly, uh, you know, in, in reading the original Weird Tales and probably John Carter of Mars and all of the other fan-created fan lovelies that were of that era. I think what what we're seeing here, I mean, we can we can pick up one word after another out of this um, this poem uh, and and find some terrific things. I want to do that for a minute and then and say what that implies. For example, this is the lost temples of Zantus, mm-hmm. and yet the ring of flowers of sacred flowers that is found within. Mm-hmm. and are laid beneath the monstrous idol's gilded frames mm-hmm. are fragrant, mm-hmm. which means that those are living flowers. Whatever lost is, it's not lost to life. It's lost to something else. Mm-hmm. That Mars is only apparently dead. Perhaps it stays alive to the poet. And we can do that with other words, too. But that word sacred, excuse me, that word fragrant seemed to me significant well so many of them are Mm -hmm. and i guess what i want to suggest is if a poem is written well um, not only does it fulfill the expectations but it does create an occasion where someone sufficiently imaginative like you can can unfold it Mm -hmm. into other things into a story of itself individual words can do that and what you just told us is that Calhoun himself, nearly 50 years after, uh, no, sorry, 40, 40 years after he wrote this, now not uh, a callow teenager, but a retired uh, man of whatever activity, um, he still wants to keep saying it. Mm-hmm. He wants to keep doing it. If the story is powerful enough, there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.